Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Sometimes trades define where the teams involved in them are in a particular season, what they need, what their goal is, who is in charge. And sometimes they reflect something bigger, something more. The trade between the Clippers and the Blazers last week, sending Norman Powell and Robert Covington to the Clippers in exchange for Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, Justice Winslow, and a second-round pick means something bigger, something more, for both sides. Let's start with the Clippers. I can't say enough about what an impressive move this is. Not just because they landed the best player in the deal, Powell, on a deal that has him locked up for his prime, but because they didn't lose anything of value in making it. Last August, they dealt Rajon Rondo, Pat Beverly, and Daniel Oturo for Bledsoe, a clear upgrade in talent and another deal where they gave up nothing of value to them. He started the first 21 games. They used him to keep them afloat at the start of the season, eating up minutes and to provide some scoring while Serge Ibaka and Marcus Morris recovered from injuries. He went to the bench as soon as those guys were available. Justice Winslow was an off-season signing for the minimum, or close to it. This is what really smart teams do. I know it cuts against the grain of what the Clippers have been traditionally, and it may still be hard to think of the Clippers as a smart team, but there's no other way to look at the combination of those two moves and where they find themselves, with a team missing its two superstars and yet still playing 500 basketball. Just slightly better than the team across the hall, the Lakers, who have had at least two, if not four, of their so-called superstars available. However you look at the Lakers, there's no question expectations for them were higher than those for the Clippers, even before Paul George hurt his elbow. And as of right now, they're dead even. And that's without Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. When I first heard of the latest deal, I immediately wondered 
if this signaled that Kawhi and Paul were indeed going to be back this season because it's a move that makes them better right now. It's the kind of move a team that thinks it has a chance of going somewhere makes. But I checked with someone close to the team who should know, and he said he still doubts Kawhi makes it back, and PG's return remains up in the air. Which makes this a move I like even more, because it means the Clippers are playing the long game as well. They think they're going somewhere, even if it may be a year from now, and are planning accordingly. They saw an opportunity to add a foundational piece in Powell, and they jumped on it. I don't know if Robert Covington fits into their plans. I kind of doubt it. He fits in that he gives them more trade flexibility. His offense and his defense are headed in the wrong direction, but he provides flexibility in making another move because he plays somewhat the same role as Morris and Ibaka. He's a stretch four who can give you minutes at the five when you play small. Now, moving any one of them is readily uh, feasible. Just depends on what the appetite is on the market. It's an expensive move, this entire move, acquiring Norman Powell, but it shows that Steve Ballmer is willing to spend, short and long term, to get where he wants to go, which is higher in the standings and the power rankings than the Lakers, for starters. This, by the way, is what tickles me about new owners. It happens over and over again. A rich guy buys a team and immediately wants to show that he's smarter than everyone else, that he can be as successful as at this NBA thing as he was in whatever business led to him having the means to buy an NBA team. And he will spend freely to make it happen. We saw it with Mark Cuban in Dallas, Joe Lacob in Golden State, with Mark Lazary and Wes Edens in Milwaukee, now Josiah in Brooklyn and Steve Ballmer in LA. What usually happens is that they spare no expense to get that coveted trophy. And then, in most cases, once they have it and they realize how much they're spending and how much it would cost to continue to chase it, to chase the proverbial dragon, they decide, let's live off of our stature as a champion for a little while. And then at some point, they may get back to it. But they don't go at it with the same gusto, realizing that, yeah, even with the salary cap, you can spend a ton of money and maybe find your way there. Still takes a certain degree of luck. But they find out how hard it is. And they find out why people do the business the way they do. That, by the way, used to be Paul Allen in Portland. But <clears throat> he's no longer with us. And his sister Jody, who now owns the team, clearly doesn't have the same passion. Because this move speaks volumes about the where the Blazers are as well. There is no way to look at this deal as anything other than a cost-cutting move and I can't remember the last time the Blazers made one. These kinds of moves are usually made when an owner is looking to sell the team and wants to make it more attractive. New owners don't want the expensive furniture in the house that they just bought. They want to decorate it themselves. That's the fun of having a new house, or in this case, a new franchise. But it also is generally the sign of a rebuild. Now, I don't blame the Blazers for taking that approach, seeing as the team they have is very expensive and not looking like a team capable of competing for a title. And they are in a market where seemingly Blazers fans think that that's their birthright, even though they've won exactly one. And that was 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago. Now, how all of this plays in the Damian Lillard camp 
is something we should find out pretty soon. He has been pretty clear on two things. He wants to stay in Portland and help bring another championship to the city, and he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. This move forces him to amend one of those two positions. He either holds to his commitment to stay in Portland and accepts taking a step back, or it means it's just a matter of time before either the Blazers move Lillard or he asks to be traded. The only other possibility is that they presented him a plan outlining how this move facilitates them making several other immediate ones that will actually make them better, if not immediately, sometime soon, and he assured them he was okay with it. I just can't imagine what those other moves might be or what that case might consist of. Outside of C.J. McCollum, Powell was one of their biggest tradable assets. If they move C.J. before the trade deadline for similar, less expensive long-term players, that will be the clear indicator the Blazers are starting over. Now, there's another possibility. The Blazers are not worried about upsetting Lillard to the point he has to be moved because they're willing to tear it down to the studs for the next prospective owner. Or they've told him they're tearing it down and will accommodate him if he wants to be moved as a result. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Of all the scenarios I just laid out, this is the one that makes the most sense. The Blazers will give Lillard his Supermax contract extension next summer, assuring him he will be paid into his late 30s like a franchise player, even if he's no longer capable of playing like one. Lillard takes the rest of this season off, the Blazers plummet to the bottom of the standings and get a top five draft pick, and the rebuild begins with whatever they get from McCollum and or Nurkic and in the draft. And, of course, Damian. Now, the trouble is, right out of the box, interim GM Joe Cronin, who I'm told is very smart and very smart, particularly when it comes to the cap, has kind of bungled this whole thing because... Number one, if you are tearing it down or you are rebuilding, then C.J. McCollum should be the first piece that should be moved. You're not backing into this because basically now everybody's looking at it as I am. Everybody in the league is looking at it like, oh, if you're moving Norman Powell and Robert Covington, well, then obviously you're no longer interested in winning right now and it's just a matter of time before you move another big piece, whether it's Nurkic or C.J. McCollum. So... It's fire sale time. Now people are not going to be, they're going to think you're desperate. You've made it clear that you're moving in a particular direction. As opposed to, you move CJ McCollum, it sends the same message. Except, you've already moved your big piece. The piece that's supposed to be the most valuable. And um, aside from anything else, there's no reason to trade Norm Powell and Robert Covington a week, 10 days before the trade deadline. The closer you get to the trade deadline, the more attractive those guys would be. There's no way that they got their best offer a week, 10 days ago from the Clippers. 
or from anybody else. Norman Powell and Robert Covington, they're all sorts of playoff contending teams that would love to have one or both of those guys. Wings, especially 3 and D wings like a Norm Powell, those are extremely valuable going into the postseason for a team that wants to play for a title. Now, while the last scenario is the healthiest one for all concern, pay Lillard the Supermax, the Blazers start their rebuild. I've said it before, rebuilds in markets like Portland are dangerous. Some small market teams begin a rebuild and never reach the end of it. Where's Indiana? Where's Charlotte? Where's Orlando? Where's Houston going to be? All I know is this. Bledsoe makes no sense for Portland as constituted. They already have an undersized backcourt with Lillard and McCollum and Anthony Simons from everything I've seen and heard out of Portland is one of their future building blocks. Bledsoe doesn't shoot the three well enough to be a floor spacer. He's not a playmaker. And while he can be a pretty good defender, he's good on point guards. If he's doing that, it means either Dame or CJ has to guard a small forward. Good luck with that. I'd rather have McCollum or Simons over Bledsoe any day. But granted, McCollum is far more expensive. He'll make $68 million over the two seasons beyond this one. And Simons is about to be as expensive if they want to keep him. I suspect that they'll move McCollum and essentially pay Simons what they would have been paying, well, what they would have been paying Bledsoe, actually. They'll, they can pay Simons half of what McCollum is scheduled to get right now. And even though Bledsoe was only signed through next season, or because he signed through next season, he's only guaranteed $3.9 million of the $19 million total, which makes it easy to waive him. By the way, this is also where the media minions trying to make nice with Rich Paul, Bledsoe's agent, really disappoint me. They all couldn't wait to report that Rich got Bledsoe a four-year, $70 million deal, averaging $17 million a year. Rich is a genius. Man, somehow he leveraged the bucks. How did he possibly do that? Because that's $17 million a year for the way Bledsoe's played the last couple of years. That puts him on par with Karis LeVert and Evan Fournier and Joe Harris. Only he didn't get him that. He got him a four-year, $54 million deal, which is 13 and a half a year. I know these are all huge numbers, and sometimes it just feels like uh, Monopoly money, but the fact of the matter is there's a big difference in scaling $13.5 million a year versus $17 million. $13.5 is... Christian Wood, Doug McDermott, Luke Kennard money. Anyway, it's hard to imagine a roster with Lillard, McCollum, Simons, and Bledsoe on it. That's a lot of money tied up in one backcourt. That's why every round, everyone around the league, including me, knows the Blazers aren't doing that, which means they got to move McCollum. Bottom line. This is... Another indicator that big changes are afoot in Rip City. The inclusion of Keon Johnson, the first-round pick the Blazers acquired from the Knicks on draft night, and a shooting guard. Keon's greatest value is that he's a decent-sized two-guard, listed as 6'5", and, perhaps most important, he's on a rookie-scale contract providing cheap labor for three seasons beyond this one. This move also makes it clear 
the Blazers have no interest in extending their league-leading eight consecutive eight playoff appearances. In spite of all that has made this season problematic, the investigation and firing of GM Neil Olshay, a rookie head coach working with an interim GM who didn't hire him, Lillard's injury, CJ's lung collapsing, a brutally tough schedule the first two months of the season with a rookie head coach. The Blazers are a half game out of a play-in spot. With a 21-33 and record and eight and a half games out of a playoff lock seed as I record this, anything other than a play-in route doesn't seem realistic. But New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans, which currently hold the last play-in spot, is giving no indication that they're bailing on the season. They appear to be all in on at least playing, uh, at least being part of the play-in scenario. And I would expect that they are going to make a deal. Who knows? They could even make a deal for McCollum. They're, they're a team that is looking to make a deal to upgrade, much like the Clippers. Now, granted, being in a play-in game, would be a step up from where the Pelicans have been. And for the Blazers, it would be a clear indication that this season did not go the way the franchise had hoped and wouldn't be much of a consolation prize. But if Chauncey Billups was in a tough spot coaching a team without its best player for most of the season, and I would say the rest of the season since there's no reason for Lillard to come back now after abdominal surgery, this only makes his job that much harder. The roster is laden with vets who are going to be hard to motivate with nothing to play for. Dennis Smith Jr., Ben McLemore, Tony Snell, Larry Nance Jr., Yusuf Nurkic, for one reason or another, they have to know they don't fit with a rebuilding situation. Then again, if the goal is to improve the team's draft position, a disinterested roster is not necessarily a bad thing. The Clippers' move, meanwhile, is a huge motivator. They're basically neck and neck with the Lakers right now in the standings and in overall ability, as evidenced by their recent one-point win over them. Yes, LeBron didn't play in that game, but they did get a monster performance from Anthony Davis, and this is something to consider with LeBron playing more four and five, operating below the free throw line. It affects his compatibility with AD. It means AD has to spend more time on the perimeter, and his 17% shooting from three land reflects the usefulness of that. So this idea that AD can replicate what he did without LeBron, can do it with LeBron on the floor, eh, not so sure. Either that or LeBron has to operate from the perimeter, which is beneficial or more beneficial in that he shoots the three far better and fairly well, 35% on eight attempts per game. But it's harder for LeBron to be a playmaker from there, something the Lakers sorely need because they can't get it from any place else. They also, against the Clippers, got good Russell Westbrook. And Malik Monk was free to get up a season-high 20 shots against the Clippers with LeBron's absence. Again, two things the Lakers can't always count on. Now that LeBron is chasing Kareem with a vengeance, Malik Monk getting 20 shots a game with LeBron there, not likely to happen. The game against the Bucks by the Clippers on Sunday is ample proof that without PG or Kawhi, winning a championship this season really isn't a realistic goal. I love the fight and resilience the Clippers have been showing, but the Bucks had their way with them anytime they decided to turn it up. That's what amuses me about anyone out there asking, what's wrong with the Bucks? Here's my answer. What's wrong with them is that they want a championship, have their sights set on repeating, and know the number one objective is to get to the end of the season healthy. Giannis Antetokounmpo looks like the best all-around player in the league right now. 
And no, I did not stutter. Giannis Antetokounmpo looks like the best all-around player in the league right now. You can give me Kevin Durant. You can give me Joel Embiid. You can give me Steph Curry. None of them is as complete a two-way player right now as Giannis Antetokounmpo. Jokic and Embiid are having terrific seasons, but by virtue of being bigs, they can really only play one tempo for a sustained period of time. Now that Giannis is perfectly comfortable in half-court sets, he is not just absolutely lethal in transition, but a nearly unstoppable force around the basket in half-court sets. If you haven't seen it, you haven't been paying attention. The mid-range jumper is there. The finishing around the rim and the aggression to do so is there. The, I got four bodies on me, three bodies on me, I can find somebody else on the perimeter for a three, that decision-making is there. The great advantage the Bucks have is that they know what level they need to play to win a championship. And every once in a while, they turn up the flame just to make sure that they still can. Greg Monroe having an array of 10-day options and signing with the Bucks is a clear indication that I'm not the only one who believes the Bucks are primed to repeat. As an aside, there's a rumor out there that the Bucks are competing with the Bulls to get Dennis Schroeder from the Celtics. I don't know for a fact what the level of interest the Bucks have, but I can tell you the Bulls are not looking to get Schroeder. There's no competition there, which makes me doubt that the report is accurate on Milwaukee's interest either. If they're able to pick up, well, if they're able to pick up a Goran Dragic off the buyout market, I would think that that would be more attractive. Would they like to have a better backup point guard than George Hill? Yes, I think they would. But giving something up to get Schroeder, not sure they'd do that. In fact, now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure they would. Let me end on this for Blazers fans. Winter is coming. You thought a league-leading eight consecutive playoff appearances was somehow beneath you, that you deserved more. Well, I imagine a year or two from now, you're going to be wishing you had a team capable of making the playoffs. Because that's certainly not where they want to be this year. And stripping a team down to its 33-year-old star point guard on a Supermax contract in a Western Conference with a load of younger franchise players in their prime or just entering it, Luka Doncic in Dallas, Jokic in Denver, John Morant in Memphis, means you are going to need an owner willing to overpay and a GM who can make shrewd moves, neither of which were demonstrated last week. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I just know it's going to be good. So, in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.